Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship, Cyprus, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. God's plan has always been to unite us with Himself and other believers through His Son. Our new life comes with a calling that urges us to radically love others in new ways. Join us as we go through the book of Ephesians in this sermon series called Unimaginable. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's really good to see everybody. Thank you for being here. We've got a lot to get through this morning. It's a pretty good chunk of scripture. I want to encourage you in this, that, that you don't just let Sunday morning be the only time that you get the word of God. If you're banking on one morning for 30 minutes and you're expecting to get everything you need from what I tell you, we need to make some adjustments in our Christian walk. It's important that you dive into the word every day. It's important that you study it deeply. It's important that you don't just learn the words and the meanings and all the knowledge, but that you learn how to do what it says. And Sundays are meant to give you a little more, to give you something that will encourage you to continue in that walk. I just want to make sure that we're clear what this space is for, because you'll not get everything that you need for life and faith in 30 minutes on a Sunday. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going, to, we're going to build on what Christian brought us last week about walking in unity. We've been asked to walk in unity. <clears throat> and if we're going to walk in unity as a church, we're going to have to learn to walk in purity as believers. It's okay, buddy. Sweet boy. You're a good mom, too. We're family here. It's all good. It's all good. You were all like that once. Don't you worry. Before you start looking, just remember, you were that baby. Some of us are still that baby. It's another story. Woo, shots fired. I was, uh, after I got saved, I remember going home a couple of times. I remember one specific time I went home. You know how you go home and you have siblings at home and you've been gone a while and you come back and you revert back to your 12-year-old self? It's great if you're, not, if you're not a believer, you know, who cares? Like, whatever, you do what you want. But as a Christian, I have been very vocal about my faith in Jesus, very vocal about my life changing, and I go home and I revert to my 12-year-old self, and I didn't look any different than I ever had with my brother and sister. Like, the way that I spoke, what I said, how I said it, how I engaged with them, how I treated them, it was awful. And I remember, deeply convicted by the Spirit of God, I wrote my brother a letter apologizing for being a very poor reflection of my faith in Jesus. I looked a lot more like my old self than my new self. And I owed him an apology for that because as we come to Christ, as we've learned in the first three chapters, like we've been given this foundation of what we believe and why we believe it and how it's supposed to lead us into a different kind of life, a different kind of living. And Paul, in this section, he's going to start talking to us about why it's important to not just be unified in the body, but that we have to understand how to walk among those who don't believe yet. I'm going to ask you some questions. These are rhetorical questions. Just in case you're one of those who wants to shout out and participate, this is not that time. I enjoy it most of the time, but just you'll understand why in a second. 
I'm going to ask you a couple questions because it's important that we assess ourselves before we jump into the Word of God so we know what adjustments need to be made because the idea is that we can come as we are, but we shouldn't leave the same way. Right? God, God says, hey, come as you are, but you should always have the expectation that there's going to be something that has to be adjusted in our lives to look more like Jesus. Come as you are, don't leave as you are. Here's some questions. What areas of my life or your life look more like the old version? What areas reflect the world more than it reflects Jesus? Just, I want you to think about these things. What areas of our lives do I actually look more like Jesus? Where am I doing okay? Where where have I seen change? Think about that for a second. Ask yourself, how has my mouth affected others around me? I'll just let that one sit a second. How has my mouth and the words that I use and how I speak affected those around me? Has it been helpful and beneficial to others? Or has it caused them to be torn down? In my walk with Jesus, in my obedience to him and his word, if my walk was the standard for building unity in the family of God, how strong would that house be? To be clear, I'm not preaching at you. I'm hearing it with you. Hey, for those who are listening, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you're searching, maybe you're here on obligation. Either way, I'm glad you're here. My hope today is that you might, you might understand God a bit more. Maybe you'll understand the church a bit more as well, that we don't have it together all the time, that we aren't perfect, and that even when we pretend we do and we act more like the world than we do like believers, that there's still hope for us and hope for you too. With those questions kind of sitting on the back of your mind, I wanna jump into the scriptures and see if we can learn anything about what it means not just to walk in unity, but what our responsibility is to walk in purity. The first part of this chapter, it talks about and describes believers' relationship to the church. And Paul's gonna deal with this now, a believer's relationship to the world, right? Because we are in Christ, but we are also in the world. We can't escape being in the world. A lot of us wanna be. A lot of us, we wanna come to Christ and we don't wanna deal with those people anymore, right? We wanna deal with those out there. And though Paul is writing to the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in Ephesus, I wonder if sometimes we can come kind of like those Jewish believers towards the Gentile believers, Right? where we have this disdain for people and, and we talk to them in a certain way, forgetting that that's where we used to live. We have a responsibility to be witnesses in the world. Not witnesses to our purity and perfection, but witnesses to his goodness, grace, and perfection, right? When it says to be a witness, you're not being a witness for yourself, right? You're not witnessing to your goodness, though sometimes we tout that, don't we? We're witnessing to his goodness, his grace, and his might. Let's see what it says. Chapter four, verse 17. Talking about, uh, just if you back up a little bit, right? He's talking about how we speak the truth in love, that we're growing up in every way under Christ the head, held together in him. Everything is, everybody's equipped. Each part is working properly. It makes the whole body go so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles, 
right? He says, if you're going to be in Christ, if we're going to grow in love, you can't walk the way you used to. You can't walk in the way a pagan walks. And he goes on to describe what that likes. You can't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That word futility, right? It means useless or empty, without purpose, without direction, right? The, their minds were, they were thinking about things, they were doing life, but there was no direction. It's like when I golf. Which way did it go? Right? They're, they're doing the thing, they're living life, but there's no direction, there's no purpose. They're, the flight path is all janky. That's a Greek word, janky, in case you're wondering. He goes on to say this. He says, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And that's not just the Gentiles, right? That's not just those outside the family of God, the house of Israel. Those, are, those were us at one time too. Right? He says, don't live as the Gentiles do. Don't live as those people who don't have faith in God. Don't live as those people who don't have the hopes and promises that we learned about. Right? We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We have this inheritance. We have all the spiritual blessings that we need in Christ. All the things. Right? We've been made into his image. All the stuff that we learned in chapters 1 to 3. The people that don't have those things, the people that have not taken hold of those things, they live this certain way and it's dark, it's darkened, it's not clear, it's empty and useless. And they're ignorant. And it says they have a continual need to do the things that are not beneficial for them in their relationship to others and a relationship to God. Romans chapter one and two, if you wanna go get a more in-depth, expansive view of this thing that he's talking about to the Gentiles, go read Romans chapter one and Romans chapter two. It'll give you a very clear, because it says he, they, they gave themselves up. There's this thing that we do as human beings where we give ourselves over to certain things. We put ourselves under certain things we latch on to things with abandon. Behaviors, habits, people. And at some, there's this thing that we do where we finally just go, eh, whatever. And we just go headlong into it. And Paul is explaining to the church that the Gentiles, those outside of this relationship with God, live this way. Do you remember that? Because that was us at one time. We were futile in our understanding. We were ignorant in our ways and we had this desire to keep going after the things that hurt us and hurt our relationship with God and others. And it says, it was due to their hardness of heart and they've become callous. Those of you who work with your hands and moms everywhere or others everywhere, it's not just moms, if you work at home, you develop calluses, right? If you're in school, you develop calluses. If you write with your pencil or pen, right? You develop that hard spot where it doesn't have any feeling, right? When we're heading to martial arts, you develop calluses. After you, you rub off the skin enough times, you develop these calluses on your feet, calluses on your hands. And what ends up happening is it doesn't have the same feeling. It doesn't have the same sensitivity as it used to have. It's not sensitive anymore to 
pain or pricks or, or anything, you know, it's, it's not even sensitive to heat, right? You could, you could put a callous hand over a fire and it won't feel as hot as quickly as somebody who doesn't have any calluses, those hard spots, those hard places. Verse 20. But you, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Again, speaking to the believers, that's not the way you learned Christ. He does not say that's the way you learned about Christ. There's a big difference. It's possible to know a lot about Jesus and not be saved. It's, it's possible to have a lot of information about Jesus and not have the salvation that comes through his life, death, and resurrection. But you learned Christ, not about Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, he says to put off your old self. To put off your old self. He talks about, there's three things he says in this, this part of the letter. To put off, to put on, and then to put away. And this is the first part, to put off. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former, your before manner of life, your life before you came to understand Jesus, these spiritual blessings that we have, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. I'm gonna stop here just because this is one of those like eight run-on sentences that Paul talks about in this letter. But he says, but you, so we, we know how the Gentiles, like, you're not supposed to walk that way, and here's why they walk that way. Fine, but you, you have been taught a different thing. You have learned Christ this other way. He says to put off your old self. Um, have you ever had, would you wear moldy clothes? You wouldn't? You just put those things and just walk around. They just kind of getting dirty and moldy and you wouldn't wear those? Really? I mean, they're still good. They're clothes, right? They cover you. They might keep you warm. All, all, some people are like squirming right now. They're like, oh, please stop this analogy. Now, what do you do with those types of clothes? You put them off. And not only do you put them off, but you do what with them? You burn them. Because you don't ever want to put them back on. And that's what he's saying. He says, you need to put off. Put off your former way of living. Put off the darkened understanding. Put off the pursuit of living in a way that, is, um, that leads towards death. You don't, you don't fold them neatly and put them back in your drawer for a rainy day just in case it's the only pair you have. That's not what you do. You take off those dirty, filthy rags and you burn them, you get rid of them. And he says, that's what he says, look, because the former manner of life is corrupt and it's through deceitful desires. You remember when we talked about that following your heart, don't follow your heart because that's the dumbest advice you can give? It's been a few weeks. But the heart above all things is deceitfully wicked. It says, even our desires as unbelievers, right? That's what led us into all that mess because we trusted ourselves, we trusted our own emotions, we trusted the things inside us and our own ability to take care of things. So he says, put off your old self, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Right? So you get rid of those old moldy, dirty rags and then you have to put something else on. And the idea is that you don't put on clothes that look the same. You got a whole new wardrobe. Right? You put on something that is 
not just covering, you put on something that won't mold anymore, right? You put on something that is clean, renewed. And, and it's interesting, he talks about the minds, right? The Gentiles lived in the futility of their minds, but if you're gonna put on the new self, it is with a renewed mind. That's not darkened anymore, but that is now in the light. So I was gonna go into, uh, you can go to 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about how you used to live in darkness. You used to actually be darkness, but now you've been given the light of Christ. The old self and the new self. He says even that we are wasting away. We're getting rid of all the old stuff. We're being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that you're a new creation. The what? Come on. The old is gone, has passed away, and what? The new has come. You're a new creation. You put on the new self. Let's look at it like this. You guys know the story of Lazarus? John chapter 11. Lazarus dies, right? And Jesus comes, and Mary and Martha are distraught, and Martha's kind of mad, and he's like, hey, look, I'm the resurrection and the life, Right? He says, the one who's with me will never die. And we know the story, right? Everybody's weeping and wailing and they're causing all this commotion. And in John chapter 11, here, you know what they did when they bury somebody, they wrapped them in linens, right? They'd go to preserve their body. They put on some grave clothes. They're wrapped up in death, literally. And in John chapter 11, before he moved the stone, they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me and I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He calls him to life, right? Lazarus is dead, same thing, Gentiles, futility, they're thinking ignorance, our old self, Right? He's calling Lazarus to life. When he calls us to life in Jesus, the same way, this is what he tells him. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. That would be super freaky, by the way. Just understand what we're talking about. He's coming out. I mean, he's probably stumbling around. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he's got linens all over his face and his hands and he's coming to Jesus, right? And he's alive. He was dead and now he is alive. He has on his grave clothes. Jesus says this in the very last verse. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. In other words, take off those grave clothes. We have to be dressed in grace clothes if we're gonna walk in Christ. We have to put off the old self, that which was dead, and walk in the new, a new creation with new clothes, with new covering. We have been made in the image of God's likeness. You can go to Genesis. In chapter two, verse 10, we see that, right? We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to be clothed in something different. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 2.10. This chapter, what you're gonna find in the book of Ephesians is that 
The first three chapters are referred to in the last three chapters often. Right? So he's talking, because the doctrine moves to duty. We can't do what God wants without the foundation of what we believe and why we believe it. That makes sense? Therefore, verse 25. Don't walk as the Gentiles did or do, darken in their minds and understanding, seeking after the things of the world. Instead, put on the new self, right? Put away the old self, uh, take it off. Put on the new self because we are made in the likeness of God. We are meant to do it differently. We're not meant to be the same as we used to be. And he goes on, he says, therefore, having put away, so put off, put on, and put away, falsehood. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He says, you have to, if you're gonna put on the new stuff, you have to be truth tellers. But this isn't the first time. 10 commandments, right? This is in there. Don't give false testimony, falsehood, lying, all those things. It's, we have to be truth tellers. The old way is to be false. The old way is to be fake. The old way is to lie in order to make oneself look better. I know nobody would ever do that in this room. Lying or faking it to look better than it really is. We don't have anything that would help us to do that at all in the world. I mean, I'm certainly we wouldn't use that on a daily basis or anything. Falsehood has to be put away to be taken off and put on instead truth. Truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. Truth. In the way we deal with one another, in the way we speak to one another, in what we believe about one another. If you are a believer, if Heath and I are believers, I, I'm sorry, you're in the front row, this is what you get. Heath and I are brothers in Christ, right? We're brothers in Christ. It is my job to be truthful to Heath. This is how we deal with one another. He can speak truth to me, should be able to speak truth to me, whether I like it or not. And I should be able to receive that because I understand who he really is in Christ. He has a good motive for me, I have a good motive for him, and we can tell truth, even if it doesn't feel good all the time. Or to make sure the other way is not just speaking truth to each other about what needs to be changed or shifted, but just truth like, I'm truthful. He should assume that what I say is true if we're believers. The old self would use that to manipulate and control and be false. And he's saying, if you're gonna be following, if we're gonna be walking unity together, we have to walk in truth in order to accomplish that. He goes on, he says, so you have to be truthful to your neighbor. Luke chapter 10 talks about who your neighbor is. Good Samaritan, if you wanna find out who your neighbor is. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. <clears throat> Anybody like dude perfect? Rage monster? Thank you. Yeah, so here's the thing. Rage monster's hilarious. It's an amazing illustration of this. Be angry and do not sin because... It's not a sin to be angry. 
It is a natural human emotion. It's a, it's a characteristic. We see God that is angry, right? It's a reflection even. God is holy and just, and he is righteous in his anger. We are not. See, to be angry, I'm angry. Bill could say, Johnny, you made me angry. That's okay. He dealt with his anger well. He expressed his anger, say, I'm angry. We sit down and we talk about it, and we have a coffee, and we figure it out, I ask forgiveness, all those sorts of things. He offered his anger clearly and in love to me, speaking in truthfully. The thing with the rage monster is this. The rage monster, you can tell there's a moment where it switches. He's like, oh, I'm angry. And then we all laugh at the thing that ensues. But what it actually ensues is a wonderful picture of what actually ensues when we don't take a check of our anger. Mass destruction. Right? Sledgehammer through the windshield is hilarious on video in a cool kid's video. It's not cool when that actually happens in real life. And it happens in real life. We live in Houston, Texas. Road rage, people getting shot on the freeway because somebody cut them off or they didn't drive the way you wanted. Right? That, that word you spoke to your spouse this week, that, that the, you, the, the way you lambasted your kids, the way you disrespected your parents because you got mad that they made you do something you didn't want to do. Suck it up, buttercup. You got chores. It's okay. Somebody doesn't do what you want. James talks about this. Why are you so angry? What quarrels and fights? We've talked about this before. In your anger, don't sin. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. There are people who tell you that if you don't deal with it that day, right? What if you can't deal with it that day? Here's the deal. He says, in your anger, don't sin and give no opportunity to the devil, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give opportunity to the devil. That word opportunity means place, a place to inhabit. The longer that we let our anger go unchecked, the easier it is for the devil to move in and take a place in our heart and take a place in our relationships and take a place in our church. And as believers, if we're gonna walk in the new self, our anger has to be checked and dealt with. Matthew 5 and 18 talks about how quickly we ought to deal with this. It says, in fact, if you're on your way to church and you realize that a brother has something, you go, don't even go to church. Go deal with it so that your, your worship isn't hindered. It's that fast. Right? If, there's, if there's a beef between you, if you're angry, he says, go Settle the matter quickly. Anger is the gateway drug to all sorts of things. Murder, abuse, slander. It's the gateway drug to all of these other things. Anger that's gone unchecked. He says, if you're gonna walk in the new self, You need to settle matters quickly. Don't give the devil a place to live in your heart or your house. He says, let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Be truthful. Don't let your anger get a hold of you and, and cause destruction. And then he says, look, the thief, we could, all, we could all probably, maybe not justify, but understand at least somebody who's, who's stealing to eat, maybe. He says, but look, instead, do the hard work. Do the honest work. Go the dip, more difficult route, not so that you can get something for yourself, but so that you can be generous and lend freely 
Our hard work isn't about us, right? Our hard work is meant to offer generosity to other people. He goes on. Let no corrupting talk, that word corrupting is rotten. You know the smell of rotten food, of rotten vegetables or fruits, like things that are like flies buzzing around, things that are rotten and, and decaying? That's what that means, that word corrupting. Don't let the words that you, don't let the things out of your mouth that are going to bring death to other people. Because remember, he says, don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth, except that which is for building others up, right? Beneficial for those who listen. As it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Proverbs talks all sorts of things about our words. Corrupting talk. This is what? Falsehood? Things that come out when you're angry? Sarcasm? Lies? It'll talk later in chapter five about filthy talk and coarse joking, so I'll leave it for there, but the, the converse, the things out of our mouth, don't forget, out of the overflow of our heart, what? The mouth speaks, so the things that come out of your mouth actually reflect the things in your heart. And if you have rotten tomatoes coming out of your mouth, because you've got rotten tomatoes in your heart. That's also gross, because tomatoes are gross. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you go back to verses cha uh, chapter one, verses 13 and 14, he talks about that we've been sealed, right? In the Holy Spirit. He dwells in the believer. And it grieves the Spirit in us when we act as though he's not in us. It grieves the Spirit of God when people who are following after Christ act like they're walking in the world. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. He's saying, look, all this stuff's connected. Bitterness, the connotation is that it corrupts the whole person. You know what happens with unchecked anger? Bitterness. I'm deeply convicted by this passage, by the way. I hope you're as uncomfortable as I am. Unchecked anger, unresolved issues in the body that create discord and lack of unity, create bitterness. When bitterness takes a root, it starts to infest the entire self. And you get all these other things. Wrath, anger, right? Brawling, which is the word clamor. Slander. You have to put those away along with malice. And then he tells us the other way. This is wonderful contrast. This is what the old life looks like. This is what you put on. And here's the way to do it, he says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. If it only ended there, it would be more comfortable. If it only ended at forgiving one another, we would be like, oh yeah, I forgive people. Oh yeah, I'm, I, I have forgiveness for you. I have for, you have forgiveness for me, we're good, right? No, no, no. There's a specific way in which we're to forgive one another. It's not to say the words, it's not to pretend. He says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If we're gonna walk in unity and we're gonna learn to walk in purity as believers, we have to be able to forgive as in Christ God forgave us. It means completely, 
He didn't die for some of our sins, but for all of our sins. Now, I'm not talking, look, at the hands of angry people, there has been abuse and terrible things. I'm not talking about carte blanche, I'll forgive you, no boundaries, and you just let you deal, you know, take, take control of my life, manipulate me, and keep hurting me. That's not what I'm saying. Forgiveness does not mean you lose your wisdom and discernment. As in Christ God forgave us, though, we have to forgive if we're gonna live the way that God has asked us as believers. Matthew 18, 21 to 35, you can go and look that on your own. I'd really like you to actually look at that on your own. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. It gives an amazing picture of what this actually means. When somebody hurts us deliberately or unintentionally, and we don't forgive them, we develop that bitterness and it hardens our heart. We lose sensitivity to the spirit and it's very difficult to walk in the spirit if you're not sensitive to the spirit. And we're not hurting the person who hurts us, we're only hurting ourselves. And when we let bitterness live in us, when we give an opportunity for the enemy to take a place in us, we treat others the way that the devil treats them. And that's not acceptable for the believer. A couple things before we finish up. If you're writing things down. If we're gonna walk in unity as a church, we have to walk in purity as believers. If we're gonna walk in unity as a church, the first half of four says, we have to walk in purity as believers. Here's a couple things that are gonna help us to do that. Our old habits have to die. We have to develop a sensitivity to the spirit. We have to respond to the conviction right? The first time as it comes. You know how it is as a believer. You ever had this? Somebody makes you mad, somebody hurts you, and you're like, that's it. Burn them down. Burn it to the ground, right? I'm popping their tires. I'm taking their tires off the car. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rage monster their car. That's what I'm going to do. There's usually a check, right? Hey, forgive as in Christ. God forgave you. No, 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 no. Let's burn them down. That sensitivity to the spirit, the more you the more you respond to the spirit, the more sensitive you become. The more often you ignore the spirit, the harder your heart becomes and the more difficult it is to walk in unity together as a church and the more damage we do to those watching outside the church. We have to develop those new behaviors and paths to honor God and care for others. The second is this, we have, anger is the gateway to death. We just talked about this. Being angry isn't the problem, but not dealing with it and fully venting your anger. You don't let it go long. You need to deal directly with it and you need to deal with it quickly. That root of bitterness, it's in there. It gets in there real quick and then we allow the devil to have a place. What comes out of the mouth comes from within, right? We have to learn to use this tool to build others up, to look at a brother or sister and say, hey, I might be angry, but I know that in Christ we're, we're family. I know that there's something different than what I see on the surface, so what can we do to get there? How can we actually care for each other down in the, the real bits of who we are and not just the things that are coming out and use our words to build up? Kill the sarcasm. Kill the little quips. Guys, we're terrible at this. Stop your shallow conversations. Let's actually deal with things deeply. Ladies, stop using your words to wound people. You're amazing at that. I'm not trying to be mean and hurtful. It's just, it's true. Use your words, use your mouth to build up and not tear down. Not just your families, but your girlfriends, 
Forgiveness isn't an option. This isn't just a command to forgive, but to do so a certain way, the way that Christ, in Christ we have been forgiven. If we want to build a strong house, forgiveness cannot be an option. It cannot be an option. We're almost done. Last thing to remember is this, that our walk isn't just to create unity in the body, but to reflect the kindness and grace of God to those outside the body. Because it's not us versus them. It's not us in here and those out there because we used to be out there and now we're in here and we have a responsibility to give the same grace that we've been given to those out there. First Corinthians 5 talks about this. Paul says, hey, who am I to judge those outside the church? They're living the way that pagans live. Aren't we to judge those inside the church? Inadvertently, I think what we do teach, we become like the Jews who hated the Gentiles. It wasn't always that way. They developed this deep hatred for the Gentiles. I wonder if sometimes we look at ourselves as the chosen people and we forget that we used to live out there. And we treat them as though they're supposed to be living like believers and we're acting like unbelievers. Instead, let's live by believers, live in this truth, live in this peace, live in this love and grace and mercy that we're supposed to. Not expecting unbelievers to walk like us. But loving them the way that God has loved us. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that it may be seen, they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. We don't walk in purity or walk in unity so that people look at us and see how great we are. We do it so that people will look and see how great God is. If we're gonna walk in unity as a church, we have to learn to walk in purity as believers. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for our time together. God, as we get ready for communion, I pray that you would, God, that you would help us to um, take a look inside, that those questions we started with would be understood and taken hold of. Help us to respond to this word with humility and grace as we seek to continue to worship you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Cypress app to find community in the body of Christ.